0: Provoking? No question. Informative? You bet. This is Talk of the Town on News Talk 1290 CJBK.
1: And I am joined in the studio, as I often am, this time on Wednesday, with Bob Metz and Josh Lemmer for Left, Right, and Center. Good morning, guys. Morning. Good morning, Jim. Nice to see you again. It's been a couple weeks since we've been together, and uh, nice to have you back. Uh, today, on today's program, I want to touch on an issue that has been in the news lately. In fact, Jeff has been in the media hound that he is, has been in the news <laughs> about and this goes. issue. It has, it has to do with the concerns expressed by some uh, residents in social housing, one particular unit, where my grandfather used to live, by the way, so I have a little background on it what it used to be like, um, lady who lives at the, the uh, High Rise on Simcoe Street and says that she's being terrorized by some of the tenants. It has been suggested by some people in our community that perhaps one way to minimize the potential for that kind of problem, uh, because people on on uh, so in social housing have the same right to freedom from fear as anybody else, that perhaps one way to do it would be to screen people who are looking for for such housing, and uh, and perhaps uh, identify the potentially violent uh, former criminals among them, and uh, what we do with that information, I'm not entirely sure whether we keep them out altogether or whether we just put them on notice that we won't tolerate any shenanigans. Uh, But this has been met with cries of outrage, uh, not the least noisy of which came from our friend Mr. Schlemmer. So, Jeff, I'm going to start with you. Um, I'm going to start with you. Don't start with me. The... um, (laughs) I don't think anybody, any person of goodwill, to use the phrase we use here a lot, I don't think anybody wants to to, uh, uh, unduly stigmatize anyone here, but is it unreasonable for the people who live in that building who do feel they're being terrorized by folks who are being helped by the government and instead of repaying that help by at the very least being uh, courteous with their neighbors are in fact terrorizing their neighbors is it unreasonable for them to ask that something be done? No, not at all and uh, I think
2: that that it would behoove the... uh the housing authority that own the building in question on Simcoe Street to be working with the police very closely. That you know, and I, I maybe have a bias, but I think that the police are the people who are the experts in that kind of thing. And uh, I'm certainly a big booster of the police. And I, I pointed out to somebody the other day that coincidentally, uh, the housing authority and the police are both departments of the city of London. So one would hope that they would work together on things like this. And uh, no, I, I think that uh, it's perfectly appropriate that people complain. It's perfectly appropriate that the authorities take it seriously and do something uh, one of the the challenges it's not directly related to this but has been a challenge with public housing is that uh, there has been in the past um uh, go back for a minute. london housing a lot of people living there are seniors a lot of people living there have mental illness and the question was uh, should you have separate buildings or should you try to integrate them and if you integrate them then there's inevitably some friction uh and i think that broadly speaking uh People like to think, well, it'd be better if we can integrate people, you know, not have a ghetto that's sort of like, you know, there's the bad building, you know, that nobody wants to live in. Uh, if we can sprinkle the people out who may who may be a little tougher to be uh, to have as neighbors amongst the community, and particularly if people are alerted that, you know, this person is a bit odd, you know, and. and in some respects, it may be an element of political correctness that uh, now we're sort of sensitized to this stuff and and may not respond as sensibly as we should. But when I was growing up, I remember that there was a a lady in our neighborhood that was odd, mm-hmm. and we knew she was odd, and we just sort of you know steered clear of her as
1: kids. But that building, to use that building example. My grandfather lived there, and I'm I'm. 99 and 44, 100% sure of this. It was an all-seniors building. Yeah, it used to be. It was an all-seniors building, and they they loved, absolutely loved it there. And then, again, political correctness came down the pike and said, no, you can't do this. They lasted maybe another year and were almost literally driven out of the building.
2: Well, and it's not that they can't. It's just that as a matter of government policy, they decided that it was better to try to integrate the the mentally ill.
1: And I believe... uh, Well, I don't think their concern was about the mentally ill. They were concerned about what my grandfather referred to, in a very colorful phrase, is the... the, the, uh, uh, Um, What did he call the uh
2: criminal element? Well, in criminal element, uh, you know, there's no political correctness that has tolerance for the criminal element. The, the, uh, distinction that we get into is, when is it appropriate to tar everybody with the same brush? You know, when do you say, after 9-11, all Muslims have to have a criminal record check? You know, is that is that something that realistically is going to enhance our safety, and it doesn't risk sort of causing a lot of embarrassment to a lot of people who clearly have nothing to do with it? So the question, when do you lump them together? My understanding for what it's worth in the building is that there are a number of undercover police officers stationed there, that uh, what I've read in the newspaper is that most of the people quoted seem to be saying that the troublemakers don't live in the building. They're people who come to the building. Mm -hmm. So what I want to do is what works. I want to be smart about it. I want to be smarter than the bad guys and, and again, identify the things that work. One thing that seems to have had success, for instance, uh, in areas where you have prostitution, which I don't think is a problem here so much, but is getting cameras out. Mm -hmm. cameras out and about shine a bright light on on the bad guys and they scurry away. I think that makes good sense. I don't know what their security arrangements are as far as security in and out of the building, but that's, to me, the kind of thing that makes sense. The other thing, too, again, is that I haven't heard the police weigh in on this issue, and maybe they haven't been asked, but I'd be interested in knowing what are their
1: suggestions. Bob, as you look at this story and this issue and the the various Mm -hmm. points that have been raised, what do you make of all this?
3: A lot of confusion. I see both of you talking about two different things. On the one hand, you're talking about people who are terrorizing Uh, you know, their neighbors, and on the other hand, Jeff's talking about seniors and people with mental illness and this, and I just don't see the two things as even being remotely having to do anything with each other. Um, People who are terrorizing their neighbors should be in jail. Whether they're in socialized yeah, housing, agree, public housing, scary,
1: whether they own their own house, but we all know <laughs> that it can be very difficult to make that happen. I mean, the police—well, the- tough. I mean, I, quit, quit, quit giving up so
3: easy, Jim. I'm mm-hmm. hearing you give up all week, mm-hmm. all day Monday. I'm hearing all these people calling about horror stories about what's going on in their tenement homes and their mm-hmm. in their townhouses. The gentleman you interviewed on Monday morning, the yeah. the, the Fanshawe College
2: teacher—these
3: mm-hmm. are serious problems, and they're nothing new. Um, I was personally involved in one of these issues going back to 1986. I don't, don't know if you remember the Gatewood Homecoming mm-hmm. Party, which was a huge riot out there at, at Gatewood. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the issue here is that the police and the laws are not in place enough to do things about the criminal element in society. And then, therefore, they've got us all arguing about social issues, housing and this and that. Let's put criminals in jail. You know, the people that beat that guy up with the bat? 10 years minimum, and everyone was dismissing that. I wouldn't even think mm-hmm. anyone who can pick up a bat and hit a stranger on the head is absolutely a monster. Oh, but they may have had a troubled childhood, Bob. Tough. We have to be protected I from agree them. with Bob completely. And, and, and in that case, that's where all our efforts should be. It well, should if you law enforcement, and if the law is in the way,
1: change the law quit sitting in that law box and saying, oh we can't do anything about it okay, so you, you, you you know think this jeff thinks this i think this the vast majority of our audience thinks this but liberals and conservatives don't why not because they need votes and they get the
3: votes of a lot of the people that are interest groups that are that are going to that want a lot of these things and, and we have very lenient attitudes towards certain violent crimes um in, in terms of how they should be done. I certainly believe that that, that victims of crimes should be compensated. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are legitimate functions of government. These are being in ba- abandoned in favor of illegitimate functions of government.
1: Now, well, Jeff, you've you done a lot of work as a defense lawyer. You're also very involved in, in, in politics, as Bob is. Uh, it, it seems that we have a general public will here to quote, get tough on crime, but nobody seems to quite know how to do that.
2: Well, that's the problem and I, the problem with get tough is that get tough is, is an easy thing to say but it's not necessarily the smart thing to say that, to me, what I would like to do is to, to, to figure out why somebody wants to hit somebody with a baseball bat, like what in his life experience has caused him to think this would be a good idea and what I don't really hear a lot about when it comes to behavior modification or whatever you want to call it, socialization skills is from the psychologists and psychologists psychiatrists saying here's the kinds of things that will cause a person not to want to do that i think for instance that uh, we don't do nearly enough shaming in our in our society oh i agree wholeheartedly. You know, I and, and, and uh, you know one of the things i've never understood is that uh, there's a thing that's in law that says you can't have a cruel and unusual punishment if a punishment is cruel and unusual that's no good and and i wonder i always wonder what's unusual got to do with it like Isn't unusual a synonym for innovative? Mm-hmm. Like, if it's cruel, I can buy that. It shouldn't yeah. be cruel. But <clears> if it's <throat> unusual because somebody thought of a better way to do things, then that's great. I know that uh, there was a, a, a judge named uh, Greg Pacal. You know, uh, I think there's a
3: difference between humiliation and public knowledge. I wouldn't put someone in a stockade. Well, I might put no. that picture online well, and, an and, and print, you know, have the information available so that when employers and people can check this person's record. So I, the, I the argument is of, then
1: that you're the, 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 the stigmatizing them and if they do decide to change their ways that uh, that they can't get away from their you're past. You're stigmatized
3: wow. if your name gets in the newspaper once because that's permanently online forever. Well, that's every every newspaper report that ever reported who was uh, charged with a crime, you can go into the archives online and go back for years and years and dig up all kinds of information. i g- give you an example
2: though of a fellow, a couple of years Years ago in Toronto, a judge uh, had um, convicted a fellow of, um, uh, I can't remember what the language is, uh, it's like pandering for prostitution. They, he essentially was trying to hire prostitutes, and that's against the law. And he sentenced him to stand at noon in front of the courthouse in Toronto with a sign around his neck saying, I'm a John. And I thought, that's brilliant. That'll stop.
3: Well, him. See, I think that's disgusting. Yeah, sort of I, right. think that's why, <laughs> I think right.
2: I think because if you get the it, then you take law. responsibility for it. The problem that I have is I just don't understand why if you've done something, it should be a secret. I just do not get that. You do something that's embarrassing, then you should take the humiliation. That's, I, I would argue, our principle disincentive in life.
3: I, don't, I think the only time you should be punished by government is when you violate someone else's rights no, by it, attacking their person or that's property, I mean, period. Though,
2: that, why do we say, though, that because somebody did something bad, it should be kept secret? Like, why aren't we responsible for our actions? If I do something that I'm not proud of, why shouldn't I have to take responsibility for it, apologize?
1: Well, we, have a, we have that. another situation in the news just the last day or so, the people from MAD who are complaining about conditional sentences for drunk drivers, and they're saying, you know, this, this isn't right, this isn't sending the right message, these people are not being appropriately punished for their, for their you know, the potential damage they can do to society or that they have done to society. But one of the loud voices that spoken in opposition to that says that, uh, and it's a repeat voice from many people, well, we can't afford to put them in jail we're running out of jail space now. We just, we can't afford to put all these people in jail. So uh, what do you do then? uh,
2: And to me, what that illustrates though, is that there are some people for whom going to jail is not a big punishment for starters. You know, there are some people who want to go to jail. So like saying the threat of jail for them is not going to be effective. It's like when they used to say that uh, it used to be the case that, uh, that suicide was a capital offense. You try to commit suicide, mm-hmm. and we'll execute you. Yeah. And I just a complete, complete don't know contradiction. About <laughs> term, <yeah. laughs> you know that I, I, it seems to me that we're just not thinking this through. And all that was was a statement that
3: the state is superior to the individual. That's well, all. I that don't the like it, but it's was. just
2: this is just nuts. So again, you know, in this case with Mad, one of the, I would argue that one of the most effective examples of changing public attitudes uh, that we have is the change in public in public attitudes about drunk driving in the last 20 years. You know, when I started practicing, I recall every day my whole firm would go over every day and have two beers at lunch. At the Latin Quarter. After work, we'd go and have two or three beers. In those days, the Crown attorneys had crazy wild parties, you know, that everybody drank like fishes. You had Mm -hmm. Foster Brooks, who was the funny comedian who's drunk, isn't Mm he funny? You know, and Mad and other organizations kind of brought it home to us. No, this is not funny, you know, and you just don't be doing that. So one thing people, they have realized is that it's not as simple as passing a law. You need to genuinely change attitudes and make people not want to do things. Uh, So to me, that's the kind of thing that works. seatbelts. Another example that, uh, you know, it used to be not cool to wear seatbelts. Now people tend to wear seatbelts. Attitudes can be changed, but we need to be smart about it. But
1: what do you do with the people, and and I would submit to you, I don't know this to be true, I don't have any scientific evidence at all, but, but anecdotally, I would suggest to you, that the uh, the average drinker, the guy like you that used to drink at lunchtime, he doesn't do that anymore. But the the guys that still get busted are they are still drinking and driving. I wonder is it is it lack of education or is it simply for whatever reason. It might be illness, it might be mental illness, it might be alcoholism, but for whatever reason, they're just not not prepared to follow the rules. What do you do with people like that?
2: Well, I always argue it's it's actually social Darwinism. It's uh, culling the herd of the weakest members. You know, that the stupid people go and kill themselves. Yeah, but they they kill other people too. Well, that's That's the unfortunate side effect of it. But uh, at root, uh, we have made punishments far stricter than they used to be. uh, Among other things, until the ride program came along, it was illegal for a police officer to stop a uh, car without... A reason to stop them. Mm-hmm. Now they can stop them simply to check whether they're driving or, or drunk driving or not. Uh, we've changed the law immensely to try and make it harder.
1: We'll be back in just a moment. Uh, Bob Metz and Jeff Slamer with us on Left, Right, and Center. If you'd like to join us, the telephone number six four three twelve ninety.
2: London's
4: talk of the town with Jim Chapman.
1: And Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer, left, right, and center. And Pete has something to say. Hi, Pete.
4: Yes, good morning, Jim. Uh, I, I agree with your guests there that uh, the conservative and liberal governments, both of them, uh, the ones that are, have been in now and the ones that uh, have, are out now, they both seem to cater to the tax thing, uh, what uh, they're saving for somebody somewhere, and not thinking of the bigger picture. And I might say if we could hold our governments and our psychiatrists more responsible in case in buildings like that, I have a family member that lives in that particular building mm-hmm. uh, that you're speaking of. And uh, I, I'd i have to say, uh, I know in the previous government with the Harris government, I haven't heard so much from the McGinty yet, so I'm waiting to see what he does. But um, they were attacking the mental hospitals, closing this up. So if we start closing these p- facilities up. They've got to live somewhere. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, We also have to hold the doctors responsible because they are making the diagnosis with our tax dollars. And if they're letting these people move into the community, they should be held accountable to the law financially mm-hmm. because they're they're like you say your grandfather or whoever lived in that home mm-hmm. he shouldn't have had to move out feeling threatened
1: no he shouldn't have.
4: no and i feel the same way because like i say i uh, i'll be honest i have uh, different family members who suffer from mental health issues now i don't suffer from those problems but at the same time if you go to uh, their doctors and you say well will you please tell me what medication he or she is on? They'll say it's all confidentiality. Mm-hmm. So then what I have to do is I have to put a barrier up and say until people come clean with me, well, then I can't have those people around because I may be endangered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a horrible yeah. thing to say, but yeah. this is what they're using.
1: It's the reality, isn't it? Dave? And
4: the, I'm sorry, but these doctors need to be held liable mm-hmm. for this.
1: Yeah, I appreciate the call, sir. Thank you. And that, that's a good point. You know, there's a although there's a lot, plenty of blame to go around and plenty of liability to spread around, but... But certainly we've seen a change in this society with the way we handle the mentally uh, disadvantaged, shall we say, or the mentally ill, from, from treatment models that were institutionalized treatment models to uh, more self-supervised, and which are fine if they work.
2: But well, if they don't
1: work, then there's no supervision.
2: Right, and the promise was that as they closed them, they said there would be home supports and
1: there was going to be a brave new world and
2: that uh, they would they would save money because it's cheaper to keep people in, uh, in apartments than it is to keep them in hospitals, but they would have social workers come in and check on them as often as needed and so on. And what's happened is that I know, for instance, uh, there's an agency in town, um, Streetscape, that does just that, but... Uh, they have, it's hundreds of clients per caseworker, you know, and there's no way that they can keep on top of people. And, and I should distinguish because I don't think the problems at this building have, have really anything to do with mental illness. I think it's more drugs and violence from what I'm hearing, but, uh, I'm, I'm also dealing with a rash of petty crime of, uh, of people just not getting along with each other, screaming in the halls and stuff, those types of cases, mm-hmm. uh, because, again, I've got people who who are off their meds, and nobody's there to keep an eye on them and notice these things, uh, and if, they, if there was somebody there, they could sort of keep them in hand, you know, deal with neighbors, because there's also nothing to stop people from identifying. Uh, I've had cases where, I had a case a couple years ago with a little kid who had a problem behavior problem and screamed all the time in the middle of the night, neighbors thought he was being beaten up and stuff, and we ended up settling that case on the basis that uh, we sent a letter around to all the neighbors saying, Saying, this kid's got this problem he's getting the, the care that he can here's a list of numbers to call if you're concerned about including my number the police uh children's aid uh, cpri uh you know call these numbers if if uh you know if, if you're worried about it and uh in the meantime you know we we apologize for the inconvenience but he has to live somewhere you know, So that, and that certainly wasn't a perfect solution, but it was at least respecting the neighbors enough to say, you should be allowed to know what's going on
1: here. Bob, you said earlier about the guys that beat up my buddy with the baseball bat. and mm-hmm. You said that, you know, throw him in jail for 10 years. Yep. This is beyond the pale. And I agree with you. I think it is beyond the pale. The idea that anybody could pick up a baseball bat and take it to another human being they don't even know. I don't just, want that just, guy just walking for the down the street. No, I'm with you. But but, but but we know that's not going to happen. Well, it's also not going to work. The,
2: the things that, the the, the uh, smartest smorgas- not going to work. The board of sentencing that judges have is 300 years old. There are things that will deter people more than sticking them in jail. Uh, and See, so you stick them in jail, and you can say, well, he's not around for that period of time. Yeah, that's true. But you're spending forty thousand bucks a year to keep him there. Don't more a, than that. Okay. And if there's a way, you can say instead, we've got, a, e- we've got a we've got a smart way is an issue to deter itself. him, so he won't do it again. In fact, ideally, we'd like to catch him before he did it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Is there a way that we could socialize people so they they don't want to commit these crimes. And again, I, I think you know with with the state of modern science, I would say surely, the surely that question is no. Anybody who's been married knows that it's there are far worse punishments than being sent to your room. Not psychological possible. torture, I tell you. So unless just don't, you I just can,
3: don't use that. unless you can go time travel like they do on Star Trek, you can't prevent anything. You can't prevent
2: terrorism. you can't well, you can change any. public attitudes. You dramatically. can change
3: public attitudes, but that's a very, very long-term
2: thing. and yeah. it comes from experience. as soon as World, World War II ended, there was no more uh, Nazis in Germany.
1: Well, still, <laughs> that wasn't
3: done by by a public attitude change. No, i by being bombs. But,
1: but attitudes uh, can change. And, uh, but but even if you change the attitude of ninety it, percent you know, of the of the population, you've still got the problem. I well, mean, the problem
3: is, again, is the government in this country. We're we're taxed at a fifty percent. Plus rate, which puts tension, especially upon the poorer people. <laughs> we uh, we have a justice system that's less concerned with justice. You know that the the, the, the uh, provincially, I happen to know that the the percentage of the provincial budget that goes towards justice is between three and five percent. Mm. It should be a hundred. Yeah. That's all government should do. The rest of it is wealth transfer, mostly health care education, and some welfare. But mostly it's health care and education. Mm-hmm. If people paid their own wages for that, we'd have so much money for justice, We w- w- jails would not be an issue. But again, I don't believe in a punishment principle either. I don't think the idea of putting somebody in jail is specifically to punish them. It's to keep us safe from them when they've demonstrated that they cannot exercise their rights properly in society. And when they do so, at the risk of, of cost of life and limb and property, personally, I think you should, that when somebody violates your property that the law should automatically be on your side. It should, It should, in a sense, you know, tip the scale of balance to your side, defending your property. You're not free to kill anybody or, or hurt anybody that walks on your property. You're always going to go before a judge and jury. Mm-hmm. But the, they should be far more lenient with the homeowner. I think you have a right to defend yourself. This idea of egalitarianism in the use of force, that if somebody attacks you, you've got to sort of only use enough force to repel them, not too much. Mm-hmm. Well, see, a, a guy like me, I couldn't do that. I either connect with the first blower, I don't get a
2: second chance. Mm-hmm. Well, you that's don't have to worry about that it. too much. They don't, call you, they don't call you right in the line on that one, I'll tell you. But uh, having said that, again, to me, there are ways to, to and it's all carrots and sticks. You want to mod- modify someone's behavior. You use big sticks and you use big carrots. And uh, if it's scaring the hell out of them that works, then that's great. Uh, or if it's if there's some other way to do it, that's great. But I'm with you in the sense that we shouldn't tolerate
1: it. We need okay. to figure out a smart way to stop it. Let's go to the phones. Brian's got something to say. Hi, Brian.
0: Good morning, Jim. How are you today? Good, thanks. First off, I'd like to say that uh, I absolutely agree that uh, you know it's it is beyond the pale that uh, someone um, would would come at somebody with a baseball bat. But I just wanted to point out that uh, it was actually your your uh, your buddy that uh, brought the baseball back to the to the to the confrontation. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know, think
3: that's a completely immoral argument to state. I, I think everyone has a right to carry a gun, to carry a bat, anything in self-defense. He did not attack them. But it may he not, not be not wise, though. The aggra- so, that's not the you answer. don't think it's an aggressive uh, stance to, to walk up to a bunch of youth for the baseball bat, though? They were throwing beer bottles at his home. They were accosting him. This was an mm-hmm. ongoing thing. The police, uh, from his repeated experience, would not respond to similar calls. I would be going out there with guns blazing. And I don't care know, what the police would I, do to me.
0: Well, I mean, I, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I live beside, uh, or just down the road from, uh, the drink nightclub. And, you know, at three o'clock in the morning, there's all kinds of, uh, drunken heroes out there, um, you know, doing the same sort of thing. And quite frankly, I have a baseball bat by the front door, but I, I've, I've always wondered, you know, like, I, I, thankfully, I never had to, uh, uh, you know, you know, uh, the, an the, the,
1: the, the most interesting comment about that was was yesterday. We had a caller yesterday, Brian, and I thought he made the point very, very well. He said the problem with my friend Mike, and I, I've said this before, and i to say it again, that he is the most peaceful, gentle guy probably that I know. He's just an absolute pussycat, a mm-hmm. very sweet human being. But the guy said the problem with Mike doing, going out there with his baseball bat is he would never have used it. You right. shouldn't. Yeah, he it, wasn't prepared. He to do, wasn't
3: because he, he was only in, in a defensive. That's stand. right. He
1: was afraid for him. He was afraid for his life and took it for protection, and that was his problem. That had he gone out there prepared to use the baseball bat, then uh, it might have been a different story. So, in that sense, I agree with you that for a guy like him, it just made just made it worse. It just made right. it worse. But, but uh, he was initially atta- he wasn't initially attacked with the baseball bat. They hit him before they got the bat away from him.
0: I see. Yeah. No. I just. I just. You know. I like, I mean. It- Bring it! It's like bring a, a you know a gun to a knife fight sort of thing. Um, you know, yeah. Who's to say what's uh, what? We don't know. It, we don't. Like, know. Are these are these drunk kids? Or you know?
1: Well, uh, supposedly like, they were. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like, I mean. But, does that, to, excuse them?
1: but, is, but does that excuse them if they're they're drunk kids? And this is part of what our society says. Oh, well, they're. then this is what will happen if they go to court. Well, your honor, they were good kids, and they just happened to be a little drunk. And uh, they didn't mean to hurt this guy that they wailed on with a baseball bat. And most of the judges around here will say, oh, yeah, well, they're good kids. We don't want to spoil their lives. So you'll get some community service, or you'll do 90 days. And, I mean, come on. I know. Drunk
0: kid know. or not. I- you know, like, I mean, come on over to my place for a coffee uh, on Friday night at 3 in the morning. And, and you'll, you know, you just shake your head some of the, the you know, le- the future leaders of our, our uh, civilization.
1: Scary out there. Brian, thanks for the call today. Guys, we're really short of time. 15 seconds for each of you. Jeff, go.
2: Well, uh People should understand that from the left, it's not that we tolerate this stuff at all, that that, uh, we hate it. And again, my problem is that we've been trying the same stuff for 300 years. It's all uh, thrown in jail. And to me, we're a lot smarter than that. We should be able to figure out what's really going to put the fear of God into them, and we should do that.
3: Bob, I think we should stop blaming the victim. I mean, if I leave my car unlocked and somebody steals something out of it, it's not my fault that I left the car unlocked. The person who took it is the, is, is the perpetrator, and that's the only thing that the law should ever think of, in principle, with everything. And I think we'd see society cleaned up overnight if we just made that one little change. Gentlemen, thank you both. Always a pleasure.
1: Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer on left, right, and the center.